It's time for Microbrew, Milwaukee Brewers Chatter from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I'm back from vacation, baby! Like, as we record this, like, an hour or two ago. Uh, Kurt Hogue is not back from Pittsburgh yet. He is uh, sitting in a Pittsburgh hotel room where he just saw the Brewers take two of three from the Pirates. Oh, it could have been three. It was so close. One out away from being a sweep to cap a ridiculously good road trip. The Brewers go seven and three. Yeah, could have been eight and two, but still pretty good. Uh, he was in New York to watch them take three or four from the Mets, followed by the series against the Pirates. The Brewers are tied for first place in the National League Central. Not bad. Probably could be a little better, but still not bad. They, they appear to be playing good baseball again like they're they're kind of creeping back into that april brewers territory uh, and they've got a homestand coming up now a week of home baseball games before the start of the all-star break my name is jr radcliffe host of the show kurt hogue on the other line he is the brewers beat reporter for the milwaukee journal sentinel and, and kurt um actually we're gonna start before we get into kind of the craziness of the week we'll start with what happened at the very very end and that is the naming of the national league all-star teams this was not a huge surprise devin williams brewers closer who's been lights out all year clear-cut all-star makes the cut for the milwaukee brewers the first place milwaukee brewers do not have a second all-star I know we've talked about Christian Yelich being maybe that guy. He's been just red hot. We have to talk more about him, but not making the all-star team. Maybe he still does. We know how this works. Guys fall away. People people get named as replacements. It's, it still could happen. But uh I I I know I know you're still you kind of you kind of feel like he's got a case. He should be on that NL All-Star team. So I'll let you have the floor a little bit. Is that still true? Do you do you feel like he got snubbed a little bit here? A little bit. It's actually kind of funny because the other snubs make Yelich like less of a snub, if that makes sense. Uh, tell me more. I don't get. I, I, I haven't, I haven't yeah, even looked at the I team. Think, huh? And this is this is my general like this is my general thought with the All Star teams as a whole this year. Um, that there's some really not good picks. Like Wander Franco, Jr. is like third in baseball in wins above replacement, and he did not make the All Star game. What? What's going on? Which there? is wild. Um, so it's, it's, it's much of a sin to a lesser degree in the NL outfield. Um, cause Lourdes Goriel has had a good year, but he made it over Nimmo. He made it over Yelich. He made it over Tatis. I, I understand why Tatis was not picked players and coaches probably didn't want, you know, a guy that just been suspended pop for PEDs in the game. Uh, so that would make sense, even though he has the best numbers out of all of them. So I could have understood like Nimmo over Yelich. I wouldn't have put up an argument about that um i would pick yelich over nick castellanos who made it as well but that one's a little bit less of a stink but the lourdes guriel one just doesn't make any sense to me he hasn't been better at fielding he hasn't been better at running the bases and he also hasn't been better at hitting so <laughs> i don't know uh about the only thing you could say is he plays for a team that is legitimately one of the better surprises of the uh, you know of the season the arizona diamondbacks so there's at least that, right? I I I don't know if the Brewers, yeah, but they left Wander Franco off, and he's on the best team. Yeah, that's true. I I have no explanation for that. American League, what are you doing, guys? Wander Franco is one of the biggest stars in the game. But uh, yeah, I I I could see it. And like I said, you know, you're gonna get between now and the All Star game, even a week from now, you're gonna get about five to six guys who back out of the game and have suddenly something else going on or a minor injury flaring up, and maybe that opens the door for someone like Christian Yelich. Although, <laughs> maybe it opens the door for these guys that are also not on the team yet. You know that that probably should be there as well. So, uh, so I don't know. But Devin Williams makes the cut. We we knew that was coming. Uh, he had uh, he had another good week. Uh, closed it down on Sunday to wrap up uh, wrap up a save and and give the Brewers. Uh, that series win against Pittsburgh, he had a, a high, another high wire act save earlier this week. Although now that I think about it, I don't even 
quite remember if that was in Cleveland or if that was in New York. I, they, they have run together in my in my post-vacation haze. But, uh, but he's been very special, and you've written a lot about him. You talked to a lot of the guys who uh, played with him at with, with Team USA Baseball. You kind of did that over the course of the year and wrote that story at jsonline.com a couple weeks ago. You, you wrote recently about how he's gone really back to his cutter more. We haven't seen maybe the, 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 the super special airbenders that, that show up on Pitching Ninja as much because he isn't necessarily relying on just that pitch. You know, in a way, it's kind of the reverse of Corbin Burns, who seems to be relying heavier than ever on the cutter. He, whereas Devin Williams is taking his bread and butter and, and just, you know, maybe adding a little bit extra to, to accompany that. So what, what are you seeing from him this year? What has made him so sustainably special for this Brewers bullpen? Kind of the same thing, honestly. I asked him today what sort of adjust, big adjustments he feels like he's made to sustain this insane level that he's been at his first four years in the big leagues. I mean, most guys, like, there are not a lot of guys who've started their careers in the way that Devin Williams has started part of his career. It's Quite ridiculous when you think about it, actually, how, how good he's been. Um, he's, he's kind of been the same guy in, as he's been in previous years. Like, the fastball's maybe a little bit better, even though the velocity's not there. But he, he's, he's, he is just the ultimate competitor. He's the guy you want in the ninth inning role because of that. Um, and really, like, it's... It's nice to kind of get that all-star notch checked off because it, um, it, in a way, just like validates the greatness of the first four full seasons of his career, really. Yeah, and this being, of course, his second uh, second all-star appearance back-to-back with last year. So uh, now you kind of think of him as just a, a brand. His brand is all-star level brand, you know, like he's going to get selected even with me, you know, even if his numbers aren't as good as they are. But but uh, but obviously they're they're really quite good. You know, Christian Yelich is only a two-time all-star, which I always think is kind of kind of funny. I mean, he was an all-star those two years that he was so good, 2018 and 2019. But uh, you know, that's it. It's just those two seasons. He was never an all-star with Florida or, or Miami, I should say. So um, so he and Devin Williams are now <laughs> have now been an all-star the same number of times, which which is kind of interesting. Williams did pitch last year in the game, looked very very good doing it. Not sure if we'll see him again this year. Don't know. Uh, although Orlando Arcia, starting shortstop for the National League, we'll definitely see that. That is a heck of a Brewers connection. Shout out, shout out Orlando. Oh my gosh, what a year he's had. He was not. I. I, I he wasn't going to be the starting shortstop for the Braves this year, but just had a tremendous spring training and has not slowed down. Uh, a really feel good story. You know, this is probably not a situation where you look back and say, "Oh, the Brewers should have kept him" or anything like that. You know, you could probably play the hindsight game if you really, really wanted to. But Arcia is is a really great story and. I'm really happy to see him do this well. The Braves, Braves guys got a lot of votes. They've, they're having a very good year and uh, are heavily populating the starting lineup this year. And RC is going to get a, a shot to play in that game. That's really, really cool. Uh, okay, so uh, again, I'm going to work backward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go now with the Sunday game against Pittsburgh. That was a, a win started by Colin Ray, who uh, gave up a two-run homer, but was around to, uh, to get another decision, another great showing from Colin Ray, you know, for a long time, we were looking at him as kind of the necessary evil of the rotation. That's really unfair to him, but like he was a guy that was there because other guys were hurt or underperforming and he was doing enough to stay in the rotation. And that was fine, but you always figured at some point he was going to get replaced. Everybody was going to get healthy. Everybody was going to come back. But then Eric Lauer never really worked his way back into the rotation. He's now at AAA trying to figure things out a little bit. 
And I'm not going to tell you that Colin Ray's numbers are just still eye-popping or anything like that, but now that's back-to-back -back starts where he has worked into the seventh inning. It had been years since he had worked into the seventh inning. I mean, he allows one run on three hits against the Mets in a 2-1 in a win to open up the week, which was a really impressive outing. He's great again against uh, the Pirates on Sunday. I mean, Colin Ray, man, like, who to thunk it? He's, he's one of the biggest stories of the year at this point. Yeah, <laughs> Colin Ray's third on the Brewers in innings pitch and game started. What is going on? Had, I don't know who, who had that on their bingo card to start this season, but it certainly was not me. I do remember Jared, though. I think it was after that first start in San Diego where we were talking about it. And, you know, a lot of time guys will come up and like their first first start from AAA can be a good one um, simply because the league hasn't really seen them before. And also right. like weird things can just happen in individual baseball games. Um, we were talking and, uh, okay, Colin Ray's he's probably he's not going to be this good all year. But like he, he has big league stuff. And that kind of stood out in that game. And that's still uh, just kind of what my – general impression of him is like it's it's definitely good enough stuff to get him through quality starts a, a decent chunk of the time that he goes out there there's going to be some not so great starts because there's like swing and miss is not very prevalent in his game but um he just he, he commanded the zone really well on sunday he commanded the zone really well against the mets um he he just kind of knew how to attack hitters they're being really aggressive and he figured out pretty early what he needed to do. So, yeah, Colin Ray has been quite, quite big for this team. It's you know, it's not Brandon Woodruff who we can get to. Uh, what's sort of going on with that with that situation later? But um, if you're if you need to get 13 starts out of a guy who uh, like really hasn't done anything in the major league since 2016, uh, that's generally not going to bode too well for you. But it has been. You know, it's been solid with Colin Ray. Brewers have won seven of the last nine games that Colin Ray has pitched in. And uh, with Julio Tehran taking maybe a step back this week, I mean, he was he, he was kind of, I, I think we all saw his production as really a great, pleasant surprise, possibly unsustainable. To, to some degree, Ray might be that in that bucket as well. And, you know, one start does not negate what Julio Tehran has done this year. But, you know, at some point, people are going to hit him. They're going to figure out a way to uh, to, to make solid contact against him. And, and we saw that against the Mets this week. So, you know, there, there's going to come a point where, I don't want to call it smoke and mirrors, but, like, the Brewers are not going to be able to get lightning in a bottle all season long without getting, you know, Brandon Woodruff back and sort of re-solidifying the rotation. Maybe Eric Lauer does take that step forward and gets back into the into the mix. So, so you mentioned Brandon Woodruff. Let's let's jump out of uh, out of sequence a little bit and talk about where, where you think the team is with him. I, I know you've written about him a little bit and his progress. I mean, after the All-Star break was kind of the tentative plan in the beginning. It's pretty clear it's not going to be right after the All-Star break. Hoping, I imagine, by the end of July... It's starting to feel like, you know, it's starting to feel like it's it's a little, you know, I'm sure he's going to come back at some point, but is he going to co come back at a point where he can contribute enough starts to make a tangible difference for this team? That's the part now that isn't clear. So what what are you what are you hearing? What do you know about Brandon Woodruff's status at this point? Yeah, he was supposed to throw a bullpen uh, in Pittsburgh. He did not. He was on a every two to three days uh, throwing bullpen schedule. Um, his body didn't quite recover as they'd hoped from his Last one, uh, we we tried to kind of, we were trying to talk to him in Pittsburgh. Uh, we did not see him in the clubhouse either the last two days uh, after Craig Council told us that he wasn't going to be throwing a bullpen. So I'm sure some more details on what exactly he was feeling when he's going to throw next will come out on the homestand. 
Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. They said it's just being it's just being cautious with it. It's not necessarily related to the shoulder injury that landed him on the injured list in the first place, which I guess is a positive thing. Um, but the, you know the 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 reality here is the timeline is just it just keeps getting pushed back. Um, he's thrown two bullpens, gotten up about twenty five pitches. That's still a long way away from where he needs to be. He needs to get the pitch count built up. He needs to get some rehab starts in with the up downs um, and the innings and. So I still don't know when it's going to be, but I would have a hard time believing that a July start is possible at this point. Yeah, it's ominous. It's it's getting to the point where you, you wonder you wonder if we are going to see him at all this year. Like I, I know they're just being cautious, but th- this injury is so weird and unique as it is, and and you know it's not like there's a ton of track record with pitchers who've had it. When you expect those guys back and. I know right away he said that the All-Star break All-Star break was thrown out right away, which tells you right away they know it's a big deal. That's a serious deal. And as as they work him back, you never know what's going to pop up for a guy who's now been sitting, you know, sitting dormant unable to pitch off a mound for 3 months. There's obviously going to be some some, you know, hiccups here and there. So uh, pretty concerning because I, I still think if this Brewers team is a playoff team, Brandon Woodruff is a part of that. There's just no way around it. They're not going to be a legitimate threat unless they can get Brandon Woodruff, especially because we've seen Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns have hiccups all season long. You know, I don't think anything has really changed with those guys. They can still be dominant. We saw that with Burns on Saturday, which I'll get to in just a second, but there's going to be those big innings. You know, it happened against Burns. It happened against Peralta when he, when the Brewers got out to a four, nothing lead against Pittsburgh on Friday. And then he gave three of those runs right back. These hiccups are going to have, they're just happening this year with those guys. They really need that third option, that third really tough starter. And I, and I don't know, man. Um, I, I, it's, it's getting it's getting a little a little worrisome, I'd say, if you're a Brewers fan. So to, to go to that Saturday game where Corbin Burns threw five perfect innings, things fell apart a little bit for for him from there. Although that wasn't really ultimately the story. Burns was still plenty good, and the Brewers, of course, did end up winning the game. But it was ten nothing in the sixth inning. Suddenly, it was eleven to eight in the eighth inning. They needed to bring in Yoel Payam to lock that down after a rain delay, which uh, which worked out. But it was getting very very dicey. Clayton Andrews, a guy who had just been called up, uh, was unable to really to to really get just one final out against the Pirates. They were they were hitting him around pretty good. And oh my gosh, Kurt, give me a, a sense of what it was like watching that game on Saturday. That was nonsense. It was absolute madness. They it I cannot. Fathom why why the Pirates decided to delay the start of the game. Yeah, that was a Cubs move there right no, there. Like the rain was not going to be a problem. They, if it had if it had caught the little rain had caught Pittsburgh, like it might have been a little drizzle um, that they could have played through. I understand you don't want to start the game and have to stop the game, and all of a sudden the starters can't pitch. But it would have been a short enough delay if you had to delay it that the starters would have been just fine continuing on. It would been like an hour delay or anything it made no sense to me why we had a 40 minute delay when it was sunny um and that was just the start of things it was that game was uh like i said true true madness yeah and of course uh the the brewers were coming off a game that they had lost on in walk-off fashion a really disappointing game on friday and then in this game things just kind of kept kept getting, you know, they, they just could not lock things down. The Pirates uh, scoring six runs in the eighth inning. They, they scored a couple against Burns. Burns still goes seven strong innings. 
and then six runs against the bullpen in the in the eighth inning, leading into an actual rain delay that, like you pointed out, may not have happened if they had just started the game on time when it wasn't really raining. Uh, and then uh, after that delay, things go actually pretty quietly. The, the place pretty much empties out. Pyamp comes in and locks that game down with three, uh, a very quick ninth inning, a very quick one, two, three ninth inning. So, uh, uh, but, oh, wow. And, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to pile on Clayton Andrews here. He was a guy that... Really worked really hard in the minor leagues. Had some great success in the minors. Deserved a shot to uh, to show what he could do in the big league level. Very rough debut for him ultimately. But the the Brewers with Thomas Pannoni on on Friday night too. You know a guy who gave up a couple runs and also is, is somebody who'd been who'd kind of been in the minors quite a bit with the Brewers and and got a got a chance to show what he could do with the big league team. Ultimately got designated for assignment. We will talk about Friday's game some more. The, the Brewers, I feel like, don't have that one or two guys in the minors that they can really bring up for bullpen help right now. That's a pretty that's kind of borne out over the course of the season. They've had guys like Tyson Miller, you know, take their shot. Ethan Small had an opportunity. You know, Peter Strzelecki has been sent to the minor leagues at this point. Like they are short, true bullpen difference makers at this point, with the exception of maybe Abner Uribe, whose whose ceiling is high enough that I'm guessing the Brewers want to wait as long as they can to bring him up, since he's somebody that they picture in their long term view and they want to make sure he's absolutely ready to be in the big league level to stay in the big league level. Or, um, I mean, I, I guess Robert Gosser, who's doing really well, but he's a, he's a starter and is is playing out as a starter. They don't they don't want to burn him, bringing him up as a midseason bullpen. I mean, that would be a desperation move. So, I mean, it certainly they'll they'll certainly make some moves at the deadline. I have to think for bullpen arms, but it, it, I I, don't, I guess I don't have a question so much as it, just an observation that the Brewers' depth just really kind of lacking in this department, and they've got a couple dudes who are here and have been here in the big league level, but they are really struggling to get those one or two th- extra guys who can kind of fill in as middle to long relief without giving up a ton of runs. Their top four guys have been, I would say, their the June month of June for their top four guys was all really good. Milner didn't give up a run. Piams was really good. Peguero threw more games than anyone in baseball. Devin Williams, outside of the one Twins game, was Devin Williams. So that's more than enough to win you pretty much every single game that you're winning yeah. <laughs> late. Uh, those guys are, are very good. I do I do get the thought when seeing some of the guys that have come up and gone down and struggled and whatnot that have come through the bullpen that like Abner Uribe is at this point certainly as good as these guys. If yeah. not better. Probably better. Higher ceiling. Um, there might be something there with like you don't. They don't want to start his service clock until later in the year. You know, um, a little super two's passed by now. So, um, yeah, I'm maybe, guessing they don't think he's maybe, ready. They don't think command is there yet. That's yeah, my guess. Some, it, so it doesn't really seem to come down to like the service time to me. Um, they don't feel he's ready. Like I don't think he's necessarily. I don't get the sense that he's on the cusp of a call up either. It's just like <laughs> they're calling up some guys, and I'm pretty sure Abner that, that, that I'm pretty sure Abner is better than. But yeah, I would not stake too much on him being here anytime in the near future. Uh, but it might be it would be interesting, maybe late in the season to to call him up and see what he's got. Yeah, they may. They, you would think sooner if they really want to use him as a reliever. I mean, they could certainly have him as a September addition, but they're going to be plenty of guys that they could add in September. Uh, so I, I don't know about that. I mean, Jansen Junk is still a possibility, even if he's not a starter type. You know, Trevor McGill is back in. I think he's, but he's he. <laughs> this is my vacation brain. He did get sent back to Nashville, right? He accepted the assignment. I wasn't sure if he. Oh no, he was optioned, wasn't he? He had options remaining. He was optioned. So, yeah, he had an option left. 
so he's still down there. I mean, you look at the AAA roster now, just littered with guys who played for the Brewers this year, and many of whom were, were expected to be with the Brewers. Uh, I don't know about Alex, Alex Claudio's on that list. I don't know if you thought he would be with the Brewers necessarily, but uh, McGill spent a lot of time up there. JC Mejia, Tyson Miller, Ethan Small, Peter Strzelecki, uh talked about Jansen Junk and, and, and Uribe. Uh, you've you've still got uh, Mike Brasso down there. Keston Hero is ba- is down there. Abraham Toro has been here. Uh, we, another guy that we have to talk about, Luis Arias, uh, Tyrone Taylor rehabbing here. So um, the, the, a lot of guys that uh, that I guess I would not have expected to be on this Brewers roster are there taking the spots of of these uh, of these gentlemen. So I mentioned Luis Arias. He, that's one of the bigger stories of the week. He was sent uh, sent to Triple A, just struggling in the Brewers. Uh, Brewers are, are kind of, I think, at a point in the season with their offense where they have to, they have to start making some moves that might even only resonate in the short term. You know, you've got to, you got to maximize what you got. And if they have an opportunity to option a player who's struggling, they're going to take it because they can't afford for him to work it out. They've got too many guys who are trying to work it out. Rowdy Tellez and Willie Adams have not been good this year on offense, and that is creating a, a bit of a struggle. Also, Jesse Winker has had a lot of uh, struggles, although he's he picked it up quite a bit this week uh, in uh, in New York and Pittsburgh, but. You, you've, you've got some guys who are underperforming. They can't have guys on the fringes also underperforming. So I, that, that was kind of what I took away from that. Like, okay, we've hit the point of the season where we are not being patient anymore. Maybe that's maybe that's not quite how they look at Luis Arias. So j- just give me the sense of what your take is from that particular roster move. Uh, with with Arias, it's, um, I think it would have made sense. Like, they could have sent Andre Monasterio down and kept Arias up. But I think it makes sense to get him playing every day and try to like get him his feet under him a little more and like have some success at some point this season. Cause he, he just hasn't had that. He struggled at triple A during his rehab assignment. He was pretty bad at the plate when they called him back up uh, in at the start of June. So you, you just needed more out of that spot. And, you know, with Terang had been hitting the ball well and they just felt like at that, particular point in time Bryce the totality of what Bryce Terang brings you is more than what Luis Urias brings you uh which is not something that I expected to say <laughs> when <laughs> it's it like kind of the reverse of how it was when when Terang was called was sent down uh a large reason why he was sent down was because Urias came back the roster was crunched a little bit and he had been struggling so it's uh, the tides the tides turned over about a month yeah, and uh, Bryce Terang, like like we pointed out, was pretty good at AAA. Uh, started out maybe a little slow first first couple games, but it w- was doing really well and and merited a call back up. He's flashing that that strong defense. Uh, had has, <laughs> he he hit a had a gritty grounder that that helped the Brewers put some put some insurance runs on the board <laughs> on Sunday in Sunday's game. Uh, but um, but he's had a couple big hits already for the Brewers since coming back. So Bryce Terang, uh, it feels like it feels like again Bryce Terang has has found something a little bit. He's not going to be an offensive juggernaut, but he is uh, he is somebody that uh, that is playing better than Luis Arias. So it makes perfect sense, especially when you throw in that that glove. Okay, let's talk a little more about Friday's game. This walk off loss against the Pirates. Matt Bush serving up a home run to Carlos Santana. He was one out away from locking down this game. The Brewers led in this game four to nothing. They had two separate four run leads. It led seven to three at one point. They gave all of that back. Thomas Pannone again uh, was in there for some of that, but but Matt Bush. Coming in to try to lock things down in the ninth with the team severely depleted in terms of bullpen options. You talked about those big four guys. Well, they'd all been used a, 
a ton of times in the preceding few days. Elvis Paguero, like, and, and Hobie Milner, I think, four times in five days. Like, they needed a game where somebody else stepped up to get those final outs. They did not get it. Matt Bush designated for assignment after the game. The midseason acquisition last year has simply not worked out. You know, I, I, the, the, the move made sense to me. It still makes sense to me. They just, they just haven't gotten anything out of him. Obviously, the Brewers tried to see if he could round back into shape this year in 2023. They gave him a, uh, he had an injury designation for a while, had a chance to work through some things. It just has not happened. I still feel like Matt Bush has a decent pitcher in him, but not a guy who gives up as many home runs as he did. So, uh, and, and Thomas Pannone also got designated for assignment. So the Brewers, again, you know, they're, they're making, they're, they're being more aggressive uh, as, as we get later into the season. So I, I don't know if you think there's a scenario where Matt Bush could have worked out. I felt like he was the same as Taylor Rogers. Like they came here and they were bad last year in a very short sample, but there were some peripheral numbers that suggested they could still be good. Taylor Rogers, God bless him, got an amazing contract with the Giants. He has been very good this year. He has bounced back as I think you could have foreseen happening. Matt Bush just didn't happen. I don't know if there's just, I don't know if he's just not going to be able to pitch in the big leagues if, if, if he's got this problem with home runs, but I, I, I don't know. I, I still think there's a good pitcher in there. I just don't think the Brewers could afford to be patient anymore. It was very clear. His time was done. Very, very clear. That was, yeah, that was about it. Um, he, he was on a, he was on a very short leash after coming back from the injury anyway, like the stuff was still the same as it was before he got hurt, which which uh, in, in in other words was not great. Like the velocity was down. He kind of needs the velocity because uh, he doesn't have the command. The curveball hadn't been great either. Um, like those two those two pitches that he got burned by in that ninth inning were both fastballs that he tried to elevate, and he just could not blow it past McCutcheon or Santana. It was it was tough to watch. Um, you kind of had to worry worry going into that inning that this might not end well. And then he's kind of in a spot to get out of it. Um, I don't think Carlos Santana was a great matchup for him there, but you don't walk, you know, you don't walk Santana to put the winning run on for Jack Sawinski, who's also a good hitter. So at the end of the day, it was just it was just time. Um, trade did not work out. Brewers trades have not worked out for relievers. I did the numbers. I think it's like a 5.70 ERA is what I figured out from the five relievers they've acquired at the deadline the last two years. Um, the the highest war that they've gotten from those relievers was Trevor Rosenthal. Mm. Oh wow, and that is a stab to the he, heart. He he threw zero pitches with the Brewers. In other words, in case this isn't abundantly clear, the players they added had negative value. Where and the guy that they traded for inexplicably, who never played at zero, was the best option of the several. Yeah, I will say, I will say. Uh, since Matt Arnold's taken over, the relievers that they've acquired have been pretty good. Yeah, well, Elvis Paguero, oh, man. I mean, Piams, Piguero, like, it was kind of under-the-radar stuff, and those guys have been excellent. Bryce Wilson's been solid, and then you kind of can see some interesting stuff in some of the other guys, like Trevor McGill's an interesting arm. I don't know if he's ever going to be anything special for them, but uh, he's he had some success, too, so... Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's it's turning in the right direction for this deadline, I guess, because they, they got to break this streak. I do feel like there's just such an element of luck when you're talking about deadline relievers. I mean, we, we all go back to Drew Pomeranz in 2019, who was awesome when the Brewers acquired him and was really essential for them when they run to the wild card game. 
But also, Drew Pomeranz had a lot of injuries after that. Like, if they had required him for a full season or, or paid the contract that he was paid after that, it would have been a disaster. They just happened to get him for that little window of time when he was really on top of his game. And I feel like with relief pitchers especially, when you're talking about a two-month sample, it could it could mean nothing. It could mean everything. You know, maybe like with Matt Bush's case, it was an indication. You know, Matt Bush doesn't have a lot of track record. He was he was So he was a risk in that sense. He's also a risk in, in the optics. He's got some, some, some stuff in his past that he seems to have moved beyond and everybody seems to be comfortable with that too but you know that that was that was a risky play just by virtue of the fact that he hasn't been a pitcher for that long and it didn't you know it it, it didn't pan out but it easily he could easily go to another team and and rediscover what he what he lost just like taylor rogers did or just like uh uh trying to think of an example john john curtis got hurt so that's the wrong example but they've had other relievers who didn't work out and then you know had normal careers after that or just slightly above or below average careers uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a huge crapshoot. So even when they get guys at the deadline, I would hope that it's a little bit of an understanding that this may or may not work out and it may have nothing to do with the evaluation. It might just be what it is. Baseball is tricky that way. And you never really know with, with relief pitchers, especially over such a small sample size. So, uh, again, the Brewers tied for first place, 45 and 39 with the Cincinnati Reds, five and a half games ahead of the Pirates. It's a, it's a two horse race all of a sudden with the Reds and the, and the Brewers Reds still playing very good baseball. They have still won, you know, six of their last 10. They cooled off a little bit from their obviously white hot 12 in a row, uh, run, but, uh, but they are still, uh, still lurking, still winning baseball games. And, uh, you know, the Brewers are, just as good, really. Uh, they're, they're still slightly better at home as they as they come home with the Cubs on the docket here to start this this final week before the All Star break. But they're they're you know two games above five hundred on the road at this point after that seven and three road trip. So uh, it's kind of a kind of kind of an even standing for them, which uh, which I find kind of interesting. Reds in the same boat. Reds are also that way. They're even between the road and home home games. Kurt, uh, I think we're moving in now to uh, to what more granular details from the week. It's three up, three down, baby. <laughs> Why don't you get us started? You you wrote a story that I really liked this week that you might want to be starting with involving involving the New York traffic scene. Yeah, the Brewers were spurned uh, on their travels to City Field a little bit. Uh, the president was in town apparently, which I wasn't aware of going into the day. I'm not sure the players were either. Actually, I'm not sure how many people entirely were. But uh, as the second team bus was leaving the hotel to go to the park usually about to drive about 45 minutes through normal New York traffic. They uh, got a few blocks and realized we're not going anywhere. Apparently the president is here and the starting pitcher, Adrian Hauser was on that train or on that bus, uh, which made them realize uh, we might have to take the train. Like we got to get this guy to the ballpark. So they followed Hobie Milner uh, to the sub place. There was a, there was a stop near where the bus was located. They took, the blue line to the purple line and the purple line takes you right to city field. So uh, it's not the hardest thing in the world to figure out, but the idea of like seven big league players getting off a bus and then taking a train in, uh, in some, in some track suits, they're all wearing their like team <laughs> track suits uh, is pretty funny. And what's even funnier is no one recognized them. Uh, that So seriously, nobody even, nobody came up to them at all. Corbin Burns was, on a train for 45 minutes in in New York, a packed train, and not a single person said anything to them. Uh, that's ridiculous. That's incredible. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess being the Cy Young doesn't necessarily mean uh, doesn't necessarily mean you have to throw away your anonymity. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, that was a really fun story at JSOnline.com. If you had a chance to check that out, Hobie Milner leading the way, uh, like. 
gets a gets a Boy Scout badge for that, right? Like like leading his teammates. That's orienteering, I think, finding a way through tough circumstances to get your way to the ballpark and uh, and get there in time for the game. Uh, Adrian Hauser, another solid outing for him, I suppose. So uh, we should we should mention that. My first for three up, three down. Joey Weimer. We uh, haven't said his name yet, but uh, he had a big, big, big home run to kick off the week in a two one win for the uh for the brewers over the new york mets that uh that's a guy who's uh still still doing his thing it's not necessarily a banner week for him per se but still he's uh he's doing uh he's he's helping things out he, he's helping out he has been a very good regular major leaguer for the brewers this year and the ceiling is really really high and he's only going to get better so another uh, another booming shot to center field for weimer that uh, then ended up being the difference in the game very nice Another rookie uh, that should be on, on the story of Down, Bryce Turing. We talked a little bit about him being back. Well, he's back. He swung the bat up pretty well. Actually, Sunday wasn't a great game for him, but he's he's hit some balls hard. He had a two-run double on Friday. Uh, but the play that stood out the most was a complete lunging, diving stop on a ground ball in New York. Rob so Daniel good. Vogelback of a of an RBI hit with that play. It was in, in the Adrian Hauser start in, in Tarang's first game back on Thursday. The Brewers won that game by a run, so that proved to be a pretty big play. It did not take long for Bryce Tarang's defense to be back on full display. Yeah, he is he is really special. And uh obviously he got Vogelbach by by plenty, but that was ticketed for center field. It would have been uh would have been a run scoring play like you said. Okay, Terang is also my number two. Not necessarily for a good thing, but so he hits mentioned alluded to this earlier on Sunday, hits this dribbler <laughs> to the to the left, or I should say to the right of the pitcher's mound. And the ball gets thrown away. Two runs score that uh, that it's it's a huge moment in the game. It's two really key late insurance runs. Uh, it's a three two game at that point, and then the the Brewers added on to make it a five two game. Brian Anderson scores from first base on the play, but in the in the chaos of this, where the ball gets thrown away once and then back into the infield, Bryce Trank did not realize that the ball. Was, that there was nobody at second base. So he could have been running to second base this whole time and finally makes up his mind late, and the ball comes to the catcher. The catcher's still able to throw Bryce Terang out to end the inning. So uh, ultimately a base running error, a couple of base running errors, like compounding each other, but uh, and a funny play, but but a big one because uh, it got the Brewers. Uh, the, 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 that that was created by his speed. The throw was forced from the pitcher because because Bryce Terang is you know, fast as lightning and probably beats the throw anyway. It was, and, and it was just, just another example of, of, of the rookie speed that we've seen on this team paying dividends and, and Brewers ended up needing, needing those runs. It was, it was nice. They win the game six, three. So I guess technically they didn't necessarily need them, but uh, uh, in, a, in a game where William Contreras had the big blow, the three run Homer, the booming three run Homer, they, they get it done with power and then they get it done with speed. It's a, it's a nice combination for the Brewers. I'll wrap my segment of this up uh, by talking about Corbin Burns' start on Saturday. He was perfect through five, JR. It was very good. Um, I thought there was a chance he might do it. It's really hard to throw a perfect game. Uh, so <laughs> it's all kind of relative of how much you, uh, what kind of chance you think a guy is going to actually do it when they're, you know, only five innings in. But boy, oh boy, he was so sharp. And then it kind of fell apart on him in the sixth inning. He just lost his command, but still ended up being a good start. Seven innings, two runs. I think he struck out eight. But those five innings were about as good as he's looked um, ever. I think there's been a lot of really good stretches within games, but that one was certainly up there, just the precision with which he was he was carving up the Pirates. Like He put everything where he wanted at every point. Uh, I thought he sequenced really well, too, going with the off-speed stuff. 
All right, I'll close it down with the a look at the standings halfway through the year and the schadenfreude that Brewers fans are almost certainly feeling. Steve Cohen gave a press conference. He, of course, the Mets owner, the multi-gajillionaire Mets owner, uh, talking about how disappointing the Mets had been. And that was, I think, that, I believe that was in the aftermath of that first loss, that 2-1 win for the Brewers, that Joey Weimer homer we talked about. Uh, the Mets ended up winning the next game. Brewers win the series, though, win the next two. And uh, and the Mets Mets fans are, are anxious. They're spending all this money, and they have not seen the results. They're coming, they go into the new week, nine games under 500, 19 games out of first behind the Braves in that in that loaded NL East. But the Brewers, uh, the Brewers got to feel kind of okay about that. Here they are, a winning team, not not breaking the bank, and, and the Mets are struggling. The Padres, a team that spends, 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 and obviously Josh Hader is on that team. He hasn't been used very much, but when he, you know, when he's used, he's still effective. He's on the team, and the Padres aren't getting it done either. They're 38 and 46. They're 11 and a half out of first in the NL West. They're not in last place, but they might as well be that far down. And then, of course, in their own division, you got the St. Louis Cardinals, who still just have not hit a groove. They're 35 and 48. They're nine and a half out. They're the they're by far the the, the seller team in the NL Central. Seller meaning the bottom doesn't mean they're going to be selling at the deadline. But we're getting closer here. We're halfway through the season. We're a month away from the trade deadline, and. What are, what is St. Louis going to do? Like is St. Louis ever going to figure it out? They just they just cannot seem to turn the corner, and uh, that is that is obviously good news for the Brewers, who always seem to be fighting with with the Cardinals. So I still am not in a place where I'm prepared to rule anyone out in the NL Central, including the St. Louis Cardinals. But it has been uh, it it has been an interesting first half of the season. I don't think I would have expected that the Marlins uh, and the Diamondbacks would for sure have better records than the Brewers at this point in the year. But here we are, the Giants also in that mix as well. So. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely not the uh, the first half of the season I would have anticipated, or anyone would have anticipated. But the Brewers can't hate where they stand at this point, especially after this uh, this really nice road trip. All right, that'll do it for three up, three down. Let's go to uh, let's let's take a step back in time. It's remember when. All right, Kurt, this one should be really short, but it's going to start with a trivia question. In light of Corbin Burns throwing five perfect innings to open up that game on Saturday, in the same week that Domingo Herman of the New York Yankees threw a perfect game, the 24th perfect game in modern baseball history. Very exciting moment for, for baseball nerds, people who love this the statistical oddity of that. I wonder, obviously we know the Brewers have never thrown a perfect game. They only have two no-hitters on their docket, neither was was perfect, but... Do you know, Kurt, the only pitcher in baseball history to throw a perfect game and also spend at least some time with the Milwaukee Brewers? Channel Park. <laughs> Channel Park is actually a really, really good guess. Did not play for the Brewers, did not throw a perfect game, so neither... Uh, <laughs> you, may, you were maybe thinking Hideo Nomo, who threw at least a couple no-hitters. No, uh, no, I was thinking Channel Park. I thought he threw a perfect game for some reason. I see. Well, he does not uh, come close. I also thought close. he threw... I also thought that, I, that, was a, that was an immaculate grid fail, right? Now, so, uh... <laughs> you really blew it. But listen, it was, it was going to be really hard, uh, because the answer is Len Barker. Len Barker is not a superstar pitcher. He was kind of a surprise when he threw this perfect game, May 15th, 1981, playing for Cleveland. 
But uh, he only played one year for the Milwaukee Brewers, and this was in the final stages of his career, 1987. He'd been released by the Braves in 86. He had uh, he'd, he really started to struggle. Uh, had surgery in 84, cost him the 85 season, and then in 86 uh, he had uh, he, he'd been released, and he briefly signed with Milwaukee. Actually, spent most of the year in the minors with Triple A Denver. Uh, he, he made 11 starts for the Brewers that year, but uh, but most of his work actually Triple A Denver. Can you imagine throwing a perfect game and spending the final year of your career, you know, playing in Triple A? somewhere that just doesn't uh, that doesn't seem like a logical but Len Barker uh, this was uh, I believe the 10th perfect game that was thrown in Major League history it was it was against the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, and it, it was a surprise he struck out 11 of the last 17 batters he faced that night it was a there was like 7,000 people there to see it it was a weeknight game and uh, so it wasn't uh, wasn't really one of the more well attended perfect games but uh he, uh, he, he had a nice little run there. Had a, obviously a nice a, a nice moment in time and then uh, closed his career with the Milwaukee Brewers. So just a, just a little nugget, a little note, nothing exciting that he did with Milwaukee, but uh, wanted to touch on that in a, in a week where perfect games were top of mind. All right, Kurt, let's close this thing down. It is, as we close every podcast with your take of the week, it is Kurt Blanche. Ryan Brown's Yeah, Jared, there was a point there not too long ago uh, in this podcast where I was worried that you were going to spoil uh, what I was going to deliver here. You, mean, you mentioned a pitcher on San Diego Padres. Could you could you refresh my memory on who that was? Oh, would that be Josh Hader? Josh Hader. Josh Hader. So I know the last time I was on here, I came out with this take that the Brewers should be very cautious about what they do at this deadline. And I, 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 this might deviate from that a little bit, so there might be some mixed messaging going on here, but that's okay because it's worth it. And I also don't think it's it's that much of mixed messaging when you when you really boil it down. The Brewers, Jr. Yeah, should trade for Josh. <laughs> okay, all this right. Is my this is my diabolical plan, and I am one hundred percent convinced it is. It's a, it's just a it would be the best idea possible. Not only does it make a team significantly better, rental relievers, technically, they are theoretically, like, aren't going to cost you that much um, in in the long term. Like, now none of the brewers that none of the relievers that the brewers have gotten have been on a Josh Hader level at recent deadlines. Um, they've given up some big league players, but aside from Reese Olson, like none he who wasn't even that high of a prospect. Usually, they haven't had to give up that much. Uh, in in capital to get those players, so yeah, the the, re, you, the return shouldn't be exorbitant. The, the bullpen would be excellent, but most importantly, Jr. The vibes would be fixed <laughs> completely. <clears throat> the vibes would be back. That's right. Now they're not trading when they get these guys for for players that aren't maybe top shelf prospects. They're not getting closers. They're not getting top. 10 relievers in baseball they're getting mid-level guys that no one has probably paid much attention to outside of the, the guys who follow those teams so uh I, I i don't know if they quite have the package to do that well they might they, they might theoretically have the package but they have the package to do it they certainly do uh the thing is with kind of when you have the names like josh Hader that have the pedigree to go along with the profile a bidding war can lead to you know some team that is not the brewers uh, a team that's more likely to do it uh, would maybe overpay or just pay something that maybe in, like pay a fair market value. And the Brewers might not 
be super adamant about doing that, but ignore what I just said there because that's not part of my take. The Borussia trade for <laughs> Yes. I don't think San Diego is going to want to absorb the optics of, oh, we screwed up so badly that we're now trading back the player we added specifically with the intent to be one of the best teams in the National League uh, and, and do so for a lesser package because... Josh Hader will only theoretically be with his next team for a couple months. They're they're going to trade. Like they should trade Josh Hader. Yeah, they absolutely should. Otherwise they're going to lose. Like they're not going to extend him at this point. It does not seem likely. And nor would it be smart for him to do two months out from free agency. They should trade him. They're not going, they are not going anywhere. He's expiring. Uh, I wonder what they'll do about Soto. That'll be an interesting one as well. But uh, Hader seems like the most obvious name. Came into Sunday with a 1.21 ERA and 31 games pitched, a whip below one. Uh, he has uh, he had slightly better numbers than that in his uh, really banner. Well, not slightly. There, there, he was really good in 2021 with the Brewers, but it's about as good as he can get. I mean, this is this is vintage Josh Hader. He did not uh, his his problems from from last year did not compound into the new season so uh, and and like you said san diego like like we said san diego is near the back of the pack in the nl west they uh, probably will want to get out from underneath uh, you know they'll, they'll probably want to alleviate some of their concerns financially and and rebuild their farm system a little bit yeah josh Hader's probably going to be on the block i i have a hard time believing they're gonna they're gonna be looking to strike a deal with milwaukee but i, I guess you never know uh, strange strange things happen in the game of baseball that would certainly be a story holy smokes well, would it be crazy if he came back and helped the Brewers sort of galvanize the bullpen for a run to uh, to toward the playoffs? All right, Kurt, I think that's going to do it for this edition of Microbrew. Any last thoughts before I send you away? No, I think we have done our jobs. We have done our jobs. Pittsburgh was a good time. Furries, we're, furries were out furries. in force. <laughs> furries, were out in furries. Force. that should have been one of my three up three down. It's just furries. Furries, yes. Andrew McCutcheon delivering again on his outstanding annual tweet. Uh, and the Brewers, well, you you said this, the Brewers like three out of the last four times or something that the, the Furries no, convention? Four, four straight years that four straight years that Anthrocon has been held <sighs> because 2020 was skipped. So going back to 2019, the Brewers have been in town. <laughs> Did you just say Anthrocon? Is that what it's called? Is it called Anthrocon? That's what it's called. Oh, yes. God. The Furry Convention. It has a name. I can't. I can't do it, Kurt. That's just... Okay. Um, all right. Well, that's there, good. There have there, there have been there have been yes three <laughs> friends at my hotel. Come on home, uh, Kurt. The Brewers are going to be in town uh, with the with the Chicago Cubs coming into uh, American Family Field. A lot of day games this week with the Fourth of July holiday. They're going to be uh, one ten one ten first pitch on Monday. It's a three ten on Tuesday. Then a night game. Another one ten on Thursday. Then the Cincinnati Reds, that for, that team that with which they're tied for first place, last three games before the the uh, the All Star break. Reds will be in for a couple day games and a, and a night game on Friday, so it should be a lot of fun. Kurt, thank you for joining us. We will chat with you again very soon. Find us on Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. We'll we'll, uh, we'll be back with you again next week uh, with the All-Star Game Preview edition of Microbrew. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.